0: Last year, in uh, Draper, Utah, homeowners were told that they needed to evacuate their homes because their houses had sunk and slid toward a canyon that the owners had paid to overlook. And one of the homes was a near $1 million, and the owners were devastated. The problems began to manifest in the spring last year when noticeable cracks began to form on the foundation of the house, and the president of the construction company that built those homes came out with a statement, and he said that the houses were sinking due, and these are his words, due to a unique geographic feature, features, and soils on which they were constructed. That would be a disheartening situation, I think, to have that. Um, So what are we to do? when life presents before us some difficulties that seem to be leading us off toward a canyon? How should we respond when we begin to see metaphorical cracks, if you will, on the foundation of any realm within life? What would your response be? What would my response be if we had discovered that our house was sliding off a hill toward a canyon, so to speak? I don't need to remind you this morning about what challenges you have, what problems, difficulties you have. Um, I have my set of uh, problems. You have your set of problems. Um, I, I believe that you're very much so aware of those. But the question is, is God pleased as we work through different challenges that come to us in life? Is God pleased with that? If you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask that you turn with me to Psalm 95 is where we're going to be today, Psalm 95. Today we're going to be in Psalm 95 together, and before we read those verses, I want to take a moment to recall for you my definition of faith resting. We're continuing this study that we've, uh, that we've had here at Barker Bible Church, and that is on faith rest. And as I look at this doctrine in the Scripture, this isn't a perfect definition by any means, Uh, But I believe it is very helpful for us as we look at this in the Scripture. And that, that is this, that faith rests the perfect inner peace in the presence of outer adversity. It is understanding that I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ, trusting in His promises for eternal security. But that as I live the Christian life, I am daily making the decision to trust God I'm daily making the decision to trust His Word. I'm daily making the decision to trust in His promises. Now the psalm that we are about to read has has been on my radar for probably a little over a year now. And the reason why we're opening up to this psalm today is because it's found in the book of Hebrews. And we're going to see that next week in the book of Hebrews, chapters 3 and 4. The writer of Hebrews mentions this psalm right here. And so it ties in beautifully with this series on, on faith rest. And you'll notice as we begin to read Psalm 95, the recipients here are Jewish. They are Jewish. However, when the New Testament writer of Hebrews quotes from this psalm, the application there in the, in the New Testament is for the believer. This text here is for God's people. I want us to note that. It's just kind of amazing to me to see how God lines this stuff up. Uh, this passage in particular speaks to that generation that had been under Moses' leadership. Well, at this point now, we know a little bit about that generation. And I, I think that we don't need to do much of a review there as far as who they were. Uh, in 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 uh, Moses's leadership, there we're going to begin Psalm ninety-five. And we're going to read through verses one through eleven. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the Rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with with Psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me. Though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation. Quite a statement. And said, they are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter into my rest. This is a psalm of worship that we're looking at here today. Uh, And we're talking about worship that is pleasing to God. We know that David is the writer of this psalm based upon what the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapters 3 and chapter 4. But we also know that David is instructing a congregation in worship, and you'll notice the pronoun us is plural. He says in verse 1, Oh, come let us sing for joy. And that really begins to set the stage for Uh, A heart of worship that is pleasing to God. So let's come together for a moment as God's people to see what type of worship is pleasing to the Lord. And in preparing for this this message, I observed three questions that are given in this text that directly relate and tie into uh, faith rest, this series that we've been doing, uh, faith rest. And so we're going to begin with that first question that relates to faith resting in God And that first question is, what type of a response do we need to have that pleases God? And we see it in verses 1 and 2. First, I'd like us to notice here, it's corporate worship. We're talking about worship that is pleasing to the Lord, and and corporate worship has been set here before us at the time that David wrote this psalm. Worship would have looked very different. Corporate worship would have taken place in the temple in, in Jerusalem. But David didn't build the temple, his son Solomon built the temple, so David would have had the tabernacle, and it was a place where the people of God went to worship the Lord. Now I want to take a step back, we're talking about worship here, but we're also talking about uh, salvation for a moment, and I want to ask the question, how is it that one can be saved from their sin problem? We don't call the shots. We cannot make ourselves right with God by choosing our own way. In fact, God commands and declares that if anyone is going to be saved from their sin, then they need to come to him his way. And the only way that we can be declared right in the sight of God is through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, who became for us a perfect sacrifice. He did what we couldn't. He he took our sin upon himself when he went to the cross, rose again, Offers life to any who would make that decision to trust in Him as Savior. In the same way, when it comes to worship, God wants His children to worship Him His way. And Psalm 95 makes it clear that God wants us to gather. He wants us to gather as God's people corporately in corporate worship. The psalm is also very clear that when we do, we are to do so with an attitude that's pleasing to God. Notice in verse 1, we read, Let us sing for joy. And let us shout joyfully. Then in verse 2 we read, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and let us shout joyfully to him. God is pleased when his children come to him with a heart attitude that is joyful and thankful. How does James put it? In the context of trials there, he says, Consider it all joy. What about the Apostle Paul? As he's writing to the believers at Thessalonica, He would go on to say towards the end of that first letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Rejoice always, believer, that's for you, that's for me. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I remember reading an old story. I shared this in Sunday school a couple weeks back. Bear with me if you remember it. Uh, It was about two wives who were doing their laundry at a laundromat. They were both mending their husband's pants. One wife said, well, my husband is so miserable. Nothing goes right at work. He can't find anything good on television. Our home is a place of despair. When we go to church, the pastor is an idiot. The other wife said, well, my husband is so excited. We can't wait to go to church He loves the sermons. We laugh all the time, and we enjoy our family. And it got kind of quiet in that laundry room as the women continued sewing the pants. You know the difference? The difference there is one was patching the seat of the pants. The other was patching the knees. Prayer makes a difference. One of the indicators on the dashboard of life that helps us to see if we are Walking in the Spirit versus the deeds of the flesh comes from Galatians chapter 5. And it will be this attitude of, of joy. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. What did Jesus tell his disciples before he went to the cross? And In John chapter 15, he said, I want you to be abiding in me. That is, walking in close fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the single condition for us in order to bear fruit for Christ. Be abiding in Christ. You remember what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So when the people of God come together, David is saying here, he's acknowledging in Psalm 95 that the people of God need to have a heart attitude that is of thankfulness and gratefulness, gratefulness that is full of joy. So then the question then that relates to faith rest is why? Why should our response be full of joy? And we see that in verses 3 through the first part of verse 7. Now the answer is found in verses 3 through the first part of verse 7. In short, we are to have heart attitudes that are pleasing to God because of his sovereignty. This is a major part of faith resting in God. David says here, consider God for a moment and and consider with me his greatness. He says in verse 4, In whose hands are the depths of the earth? The Hebrew word for depth refers to an unexplored area. And since the time that David wrote this, we've come a long way in planetary exploration. For example, the deepest man-made well, I learned, was 40,000 feet deep. They tried to drill this thing to make it 49,000 feet deep, but it got too hot, it would it would reach over 500 degrees Fahrenheit. You, don't, you can't find a drill that will operate in those conditions. 40,000 feet deep. Think about that. That's 37 Eiffel Towers stacked on top of each other. That's a huge well. And David says of God that the deepest depths of the earth are in his hand. Well, then it's only natural that we'd move in the other direction, right? What about Mount Everest? The tallest peak, Mount Everest, for instance, is 29,029 feet. And climbers have said, have reported, that there's a certain window of time that you have when you get to the top of the mountain, and that window of time is known as the death zone. The death zone is known for having very little oxygen, which causes great physical risk for the climbers. Many who wind up in the death zone longer than they intended never make it out. One climber said that when you get up into that area, that death zone on Mount Everest, it feels as though you're running on a treadmill and breathing through a straw. Let's read that verse again. The Lord is a great God. Verse 4. In whose hand are the depths Of the earth and the peaks of the mountains are his also. Are our problems and difficulties too big for God to handle? In verse 5, we learn that God made the sea, he made the land. In verse 6, he is our maker. We note that. Therefore, David says, When we gather together, we are to worship God, we are to bow down to him. And this speaks to the fact that God deserves reverence. Pastor David Thompson says, There should be a great reverent spirit of both reverence and awe when we gather to worship God. Reality, though, as we go through life, there will be times that are more demanding of us than others. There will be seasons where we may struggle to see how any good could come out of a situation or a circumstance. There will be seasons that will cost us more in our time and and attention. And we can, metaphorically speaking, almost feel as though we are running on a treadmill, breathing through a straw. Have you ever felt that way? Just in life. I know I have. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I love the Psalms, the older I get. The Psalms are beautiful. They bring comfort. One of the reasons why I love the Psalms is because they provide an eyewitness testimony of how God has worked in the life of his children. I believe it when David says in Psalm chapter 40, verses 2 through 3, He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Do you believe He can do that for you? Brother, sister in Christ, do you believe that God can put a new song in your heart? When you have no other option but to trust God in a circumstance and you watch Him fight for you, it's amazing. It's amazing. When we consider who God is and his mighty power, he is to be revered. But watch what David says next. In verse 7, David writes, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. When David writes this, of course, he's referring to the Jewish nation within that immediate context. However, the author of Hebrews uses this psalm in order to draw application for the the church today. So, what is the difference between when David wrote this psalm in Psalm 95 and when the writer of Hebrews quotes this psalm? What is the difference? Christ came. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it reminds us that Christ purchased the church with his blood. And in Romans chapter 8, we are reminded that nothing can take us away from the love of God. So, even though the Jewish nation is in view here, the church benefits greatly from this passage perhaps you're here today or you're listening online and you feel as though you are running on a treadmill breathing through a straw in life if that's you i want you to know that you have a choice you can get off of that treadmill in this moment you can stop breathing through that straw and you can trust god you can trust God. Trust him with your circumstances, with that issue that is keeping you up at night. Trust him. Well, when? When should we trust him? Well, that brings us to our third question. When should our response be to trust God? Are we to keep running on that treadmill, breathing through a straw? Are we to trust God with our circumstances? Notice what David says next in Psalm 95. He says, Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The response here to trust God can take place in a moment, in a single moment. We can choose to be self reliant, or we can choose to faith rest in our God, who is greater than any challenge or problem that we are working through. And what is so gracious of our Lord is that he has provided for us an example in this passage as the Spirit of God would move David towards the completion of this psalm. We have here here an example of those who failed to faith rest in their walk with the Lord. Both David and the author of Hebrews here have identified for us who the example is referring to so that it is not a mystery to the reader. If you read the end of Hebrews chapter 3, where verse 7 of Psalm 95 is quoted, in that specific context, it is revealed that the ones who did not faith rest in God were the Israelites. The people of God who were uh, led by Moses out of Egypt into the wilderness failed to enter that, that, that rest. The very end of Hebrews chapter 3, we read, So we... In that context, in in the book of Hebrews, it refers to the believers there. See that they, in reference to the Israelites, those who were under Moses, were not able to enter because of unbelief. The author of Hebrews says that the Israelites failed to faith rest in God and that the reason for this failure was a heart issue. Uh, David instructs the congregation of God in Psalm 95 saying, do not harden your hearts. Unbelief is the exact opposite of faith rest. You remember that definition, right? Faith rest is that perfect inner peace in the presence of outer adversity. Well, what was it that the the Israelites were faced with? David refers to a specific moment in time as he writes, as at Meribah, as in the day of Masa in the wilderness. Both of those places were given in our last sermon on, in the, within this ser- series on faith rest from Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17:7 17, 7 says he named the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or isn't he? If you have a really good memory, you'll remember as we studied Exodus chapter 17 that the name Masa means test, and Meribah means to strive. Well, what type of outer adversity did the nation of Israel experience in the wilderness at Rephidim in Exodus chapter 17? They had no water. They were thirsty. Their mouths were dry. And that's a pretty big problem. When you're out in the wilderness, your existence is hanging on a line. Their survival was hanging on a line, but did the Israelites display perfect inner peace as they began to process in their heart the reality of the situation? I I think that we can all agree the answer to that is a big fat, no, (laughs) no, there was no peace there coming from them. Now, this is what I call heart surgery. He wants to see it from the heart of unbelief from the heart of a nation what was the fruit specifically in reference to that situation in Exodus 17 that is being referenced here in Psalm 95 what was the fruit and jesus says that the fruit of abiding in him is joy did the israelites in that moment at rephidim produce joy? Let me rephrase that question. What came out of the hearts of God's people as they failed to faith rest in God to meet their physical needs? From Exodus 17, which is what David is referencing here in Psalm 95. What came out of a heart of unbelief? What was the fruit of unbelief in God? Well, we can go back to that account in Exodus chapter 17, and we will very clearly see that They quarreled with God's leadership. We saw that in verse 2. They grumbled in Exodus chapter 17, verse 3. They did not speak things that were true, Exodus chapter 17, verse 3 as well. Number 4, they were, from a godly leader's perspective, ready to murder. Then in number 5, they doubted God's presence. In a moment, we can be like this. For the first few years here, I'll just be honest, um, just as a new pastor stepping into the the ministry, one of the worst days in the week was a Monday for me. It wasn't just because I was tired. Um, It was because I would start looking ahead at everything that needed to get done, and I would wonder, how am I going to get everything done? And God came through every single time. He still does. The reality is, in a moment, we can take on an unbelieving heart. It can happen at work. It can happen in the home. It can happen in church. And the tricky thing with the heart is that it's very rarely ever honest with us about what it is that we are believing in the first place. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, we read, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The outer adversity that God's people experienced with Moses, it did not produce joy and peace. It should have. God was in their midst. Instead, it produced doubt, anxiety, anger, fear, a very real sense of discontentment. And God has something to say about that. Look with me at Psalm 95 as we begin to wrap this up. In verse 9, God says that his people tried him. They were a people who tested him, and he said that his people had visibly seen with their own eyes the miracles of God. But since they had the hearts of unbelief, the Lord says, for 40 years I loathed that generation. And they are a people who err in their heart. And they do not know my ways, therefore I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter into my rest. I can remember uh, a couple of months ago, we had um, Pastor Brad and Becky over uh, for an evening. And um, on that particular night, I fed our dog, Carly, um, a piece of pizza crust. And after I fed her that piece of pizza crust, she threw up in three different places. And without getting into much detail there, I'm just going to be honest with you, it was repulsive to try to clean that up. It was disgusting. That's what's in view here. A heart that is unbelieving in the eyes of God is repulsive. God says here, I loathed that generation. God is not pleased with a heart that is unbelieving. And based upon what we find here in Psalm 95, a great indicator on the dashboard of life that will reveal whether we are trusting God in the present or not will be determined by our heart attitude when we come into the presence of God to worship Him. When we come to worship God, are are our hearts thankful and joyful? David says in Psalm 95, Today if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. There was a pastor who made an interesting observation about the church in America that I would like to read for you. Then I'll give you some final thoughts here. But he stated this, and I quote, There's a dangerous movement that is dominating many churches today, and the movement is this. We need to make church a place that meets the needs of people. We need to make our church a user-friendly place. And the true point of a place of worship is completely overlooked. He continues, A true place of worship is not about meeting my needs. It's about worshiping God and learning what pleases Him. Because if we worship God and please Him, here's the key, the needs will take care of themselves. What do we do? What do we need? We need His Word. We need to set ourselves under it. In our time together, we've answered three questions that directly relate to faith resting and God is an extension of our worship to him. I believe that if we were to sum up 90, Psalm 95, we could walk away with this truth, that God is pleased when his children are thinking rightly about, um, are thinking rightly about life, rejoicing in him. God is pleased when his children are thinking rightly about life, Rejoicing in him. Here's a song that uh, I've been singing around my house lately, and um, my son Colton loves to sing along whenever it comes on. It's right out of the 80s. Maybe some of you know it. If you do, I'd be interested in knowing if that you know it. It's called Destined to Win by DeGarmo and Key. And I just want to read a couple verses from that song. I love this song. We all get discouraged when the pressures of life start weighing us down. We've learned that in his footsteps, crosses in life must precede the crowns. We are destined to win. We're surrounded by his love, guarded by his power, destined to win. Following the Lord until the battle is over, we are destined to win. Perhaps you're here today or you're listening online and your problems in life Are endless. It may be that those problems that you are working through have stolen your joy. My question is Do you believe that in the end, because of Christ, you are destined to win? What are problems? I have a helpful acronym here for problems. Here are problems. Problems are predictors, they help mold the future, they are reminders. When a problem comes up, I am instantly reminded, I can't rely on myself and what I know. I need God's help. they are opportunities They pull us out of our rut and cause us to think creatively. They are blessings. They open up the doors that we usually do not go through. They are lessons. Each new challenge will be our teacher. Problems are everywhere. No place or person is excluded from them. They are messages. They warn us about potential disaster. And they are solvable. No problem is without a solution. Again, faith rest is that perfect inner peace that takes over when we are dealing with outer adversity. David says of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. Like those homes in Draper, Utah, the cracks in the foundations of our homes, which signal that we might have a heart of unbelief or that we are not faith-resting in the Lord, Psalm 95 shows us will be that we will not have a thankful heart or one that is full of joy. David says, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. If the Spirit of God has brought conviction upon your heart that you have not been faith-resting in the Lord, as you should be, it's never too late to confess that to Him and to move forward in the rest that He has provided for you. If you feel as though you're running on a treadmill, breathing through a straw this morning, get off of that treadmill and trust the Lord with those circumstances. Listen, it's a huge privilege to know Christ and to walk with Him. And I can tell you from my own life, He has given me, the Lord has given me great joy as I've navigated through different challenges in my life. And he wants to do the same for you. Perhaps you're here today or you're listening online and you don't know Christ. If that is you, then you need to know that a relationship with the Lord begins with with what you will do with Jesus Christ. The scripture is clear. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark of God's perfection. God being holy can't be in the presence of sin. And so he saw our need, he sent his son Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to rise again from the dead, and he offers life to any who will believe in him. The penalty for sin is separation from God in a place called hell. Horrible, horrible reality for the unbeliever. But for the believer, we have great hope because of Christ. If you have never made that decision, make that decision today. There is great hope for you, for the rest of us. May we have an attitude of thankfulness and joy as we faith rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got a challenge for you as we go through this week. Read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to encourage you to do that as we will continue to pick up this study in our time together next Sunday, Lord willing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise, and we want to thank you that you have provided something for us that is wonderful. For the child of God, you have provided your rest. Thank you that we can step into that rest at any point in our life. Lord, but we understand and recognize the reality that as we live on this side of heaven, there are challenges and difficulties that we deal with, that we are faced with. And Lord, it might be that we don't know where to turn. I pray that if any here today or are listening online feel as though they are running on a treadmill, breathing through a straw, that they would get off of that. They would, they would trust you and learn to trust you. You've been so good, and we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We give you praise. We love you, Lord. Help us to live for you in a way that is glorifying to you now in the week to come. In your name we pray. Amen.